Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This episode we have Netflix 229th film from 2020. It's the computer animated film The Willoughbys. It's directed by Chris Pern. It stars the voices of Will Forte, Maya Rudolph, Alessia Cara, Terry Crews, Martin Short, Jane Krakowski, Sean Cullen, and Ricky Gervais. I am Jesse, and I am writing here solo for this animated feature film from 2020. If you were interested in checking out The Willoughbys and didn't want it uh, spoiled or ruined for you, please give us a pause and come back a little bit later on because I'm going to get into this film and talk all about it. And I do that by doing the fast flicks where we do a quick little summary of what the film is all about. So for me, The Willoughbys is about a bunch of kids deciding that they would be better off as orphans than with their real parents. So family friendly film, uh, animated film, meant for the family. It is a little bit dark, it does have some um, pretty heavy sort of themes and ideas, but in, in general, this this one is that one that you can watch with the kids. So what can we find out about how this ended up on Netflix and, and whether you should watch this one with your kids as well? I think uh, we'll start off, I guess, that it's based on a book of the same name by Lois Lowry. And we go back to November of 2015 when Bronze Studios acquired the animated film rights to the book and hired Chris Pern to adapt it into a screenplay with Adam Wood um, to direct it as well. And then it got to April of 2017 when Ricky Gervais was cast in the film to play the narrator as well as one of the characters. And then it was reported that Pern would co-direct the film with Corey Evans. However, the screenplay was then replaced um, with with a story now by Pern and then it was eventually put into production at the Bron Animation Studio in British Columbia with character designs by Craig Kelman, who also designed characters for a lot of DreamWorks animation, um, like Madagascar, as well as uh, the Sony Pictures animation film Hotel Transylvania and the MGM film The Addams Family, the animated one. So uh, as revealed in back in 2017, in an interview on Jimmy Fallon, Alessia Cara, who is a mu- musician, a singer, uh, she had a lifelong dream of wanting to voice a character in an animated movie. The producers for this film saw that interview and then contacted her straight away and got her on board, and, and that's why we have a character in this film that does do a little bit of singing as well, I guess. Um, and talking about that singing, um, Alessia Cara, she had a sinus infection when she was recording like the big song um, of this film called I Choose. Uh, it meant her voice was her voice sounded a little bit hoarse and shaky. Um, she said, "Sorry, you know, sent this off as a demo." Um, the directors actually loved it, and um, you know, at the end of the film when this song is uh, sang during a a snowstorm, they uh, you know were like, "Well, we've got this version of her singing it a little bit weaker," um, and they used that version in the final film from her demo. So that's that's quite interesting too. Netflix apparently said that there were 37 million people that had watched this on their service in the first month of release. So not very often we hear a lot of uh, detail or data from Netflix about viewership, but apparently 37 million um, people at least started the film on Netflix. There is a post-credit scene in this film as well. Um, The cat, the the narrator of this film, uh, voiced by Ricky Gervais, sort of after the credits, there's a scene where he's the cat is uh, licking himself clean and he turns to the camera like saying, you know, don't, don't look at me weird. This is, this is how I wash. It sort of uh, sums up my thoughts on that cat character from this film, I think. Uh, But we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. This uh, was released on Netflix on the 22nd of April, 2020. It was nominated for a total of 16 awards um, across award seasons that year. Didn't win any. Um, Six of those awards were at the Annie Awards or the Animation Awards. So um, pretty well received, I guess. And that probably leads us into talking about how it's been received by 
critics and audiences worldwide. We start with our Rotten Tomatoes, our, our critic sort of uh, viewership. It sits very, very well. 91% on 64 reviews. That's definitely fresh and certified. Audience has it a little bit lower, still fresh, but at 65%, that's on more than 500 ratings. On IMDb, it sits at a 6.3 out of 10 on nearly 20,000 ratings. And on Letterboxd, it sits at a solid 3.2 out of 5 on nearly 27,000 ratings. But it's actually been watched or logged by over 40,000 people on Letterboxd. So quite a few people have seen this film on Netflix. And what do you think my early thoughts on this one are going to be? You'd probably know I like animated films. Animated films are, are a bit of my jam, uh, especially Disney. But I think, um, you know, I, I remember when this came out during the pandemic. I, I wanted to watch it since it came out. And I'm not sure if I had, like, these huge expectations. But I, I think I was a little bit disappointed. It, it's a real frantic film that sort of runs a thousand miles an hour. Uh, and, and this weird narration throughout by the cat uh, voiced by Ricky Gervais as I mentioned before I think if a few things were tightened up it would have been a lot better film but it's still an enjoyable watch so that's uh, where we're heading with this film today let's talk about some characters uh, we'll start off with Tim so this is this is set around the Willoughby's there are a family um, four kids the parents in this house and Tim is the, the oldest the oldest son he's sort of the rational child I guess of the family he's always willing to take the the fall for his siblings or the other kids and, and he's got this obsession with bringing sort of the family name back to the heights of the past because we're, we're told that the Willoughby family name it's full of you know wondrous people great inventors and um, people of tradition and invention and creativity and, and courage and I think Tim's probably the one that we say is the courageous one he sort of wants to step up and he wants to be the man of the house and that leads us into his uh, next sibling, Jane, his sister, who's the middle child and sort of always feels like she's being told what to do by Tim. And that sort of creates a little bit of friction between the two. But but she has this passion um, for singing, loves to sing. And I guess that sort of identifies her as the, the creative one. And that sort of leads us with the, the twins, the Barnabys, the um, the part of Barnaby A and B, I guess we could call them. But they're the twin brothers. They're a little bit weird and, and they're the, the inventing type I guess they're, they're kids they have the brains they like to create inventions and play tricks and things like that so that's the, that's the kids in the family I guess we could talk about their mother and father who are titled mother and father they're, they're just these horrendous parents who are obsessed with each other um, they're constantly kissing and and with each other they got no time for their kids at all they they um, have I don't know, the mother likes to knit the dad likes sort of ships in bottles and they just hate kids in general uh, they're, they're so selfish and there's not one redeeming quality about either of them. I think that um, someone probably needs to explain to these characters what the idea of contraception is because uh, ridiculous how poor parents these guys are. And that, that sort of leads us into the, the, the cat, I guess. The cat is the narrator of this film that I mentioned. He's sort of part of the family a little bit, I guess. Sort of sits outside the window and plays a bit of a role in this film. I really disliked this role for Ricky Gervais. I, I, I love Ricky Gervais. I think he's hilarious, but I just think that this, and you know, he does have a dry sense of humor. I just think that the, the dryness in this kid's film, it just didn't work. And I'm not sure that the we needed a narrator throughout this film to, to be told what was going on. Um, yeah, not, not, not sold on that idea. I think that the other person we need to talk about it is the nanny that the parents hire. Um, her name is Linda. And she's sort of um, brought in into this film to look after the kids while the parents are off on a holiday. And really, really good character. I really like this character. Um, you know, she's taken on this job because she's getting paid very little by these horrible parents. 
got no experience, but we find out that she was an orphan herself. So the empathy that she feels for these kids and, and she'll do anything to serve them or be there for them. I really liked that character, um, as well as the other character of uh, Commander Malinoff, who's this um, almost Willy Wonka type character. He's this famous candy tycoon who makes all these treats himself, um, but he's lonely. And we sort of see at some stage in this film, there's another kid that's orphaned and just dumped on the doorstep of the Willoughby's um, and the kids name the baby Ruth. And, and uh, Commander Malinoff sort of takes in and cares for this baby Ruth as well, which is nice to see. The director of this one, Chris Kern, sorry, Chris Pern. A lot of animated work, a lot of storyboard work, a lot of um, artistic work on a lot of big animated films you'd know of, such as um, Early Man, the Open Season sequels, Home, the DreamWorks picture, um, the Shaun the Sheep movie, Hotel Transylvania, Pirates, the Band of Misfits, Arthur Christmas, etc. And I think he also directed uh, the sequel to Cloudy of a Chance with Meatballs. Okay, scene time. Let's talk about some scenes. What are some things that... And I found this really hard to actually identify things that I liked and didn't like in this because it sort of was so quick, so fast that it all sort of jumbled in together. But I think the, the tender moments were the ones that I liked the most in this. So uh, there's a moment when the kids and their nanny are on, on a bus and we see that Tim doesn't trust this nanny to start with, sort of against her, and, and after this moment together, realises that she's there to help them and he sort of decides to share his candy bar um with Linda, the nanny. And, you know, this hard time he's given her, it was just nice to see this, this acceptance from him. So that was nice too. And the other nice moment I liked in this was uh, the kids were traveling to try and find their parents towards the end of the film. And Jane um, and Tim, they're sort of talking and Jane falls asleep on Tim. You know, sister falling asleep on the big brother. Um, and then he falls asleep too. And, you know, they had their differences, but they were together now working together. And I liked that moment too. Uh, some things that I didn't think really worked, I've already mentioned the, the cat as the narrator, but some specific scenes, I think when the house goes up for sale, the kids sort of freak out and they sort of do like a Home Alone-esque uh, booby trap setting up around the house to to ward off potential buyers. I thought none of it was clever or funny or original. So that, that was a bit of a letdown for me. Uh, and then the whole idea, you know, Jane is the sister, artistic, believes in these rainbows and that sort of idea but towards the end they build this big rainbow and some magical transportation device to get to their parents to to get to the alps where they are and i thought it was just a little bit too beyond crazy uh, for my liking and towards the end as well uh, the big moment of this film is this song that alessia cara sings as the character jane and this song about choosing her siblings i think it was called i choose i just thought it was really lame uh, and not a big fan of that to finish this film off what are some themes and some ideas in this one? I think we've got, I've mentioned this, we've got the idea of neglectful parents uh, and, and not just neglectful parents, but a system that sort of neglects children, the, the orphanage system, um, the social services, the uncaring um, social service system. And, and how can we expect kids to trust adults when there's so many examples of adults, um, you know, being poor towards kids themselves? This is a little bit out there, I guess, but the the character's hair sort of all looks like um, yarn or the, the stuff that the mum is knitting with. So it's that style of hair. And, you know, we see this yarn being a really important factor in the kids being able to find their parents at the end. And, and it's also this idea of tying the family together through this this knitting wool, I guess. Uh, and, you know, family's a big thing. Making, making your own family story, making your own family, letting go of the past, the expectations, the history of your family, and choosing who you want to be your family and who you want to reflect yourself through your family too through sometimes those power struggles in families you've got the the, the dictator like parents or the idea of someone coming in and interrupting that family unit through a nanny how, how do you deal with those struggles and, and move forward to create your own version of what family looks like 
All right, what did I take away from this one? I think that, you know, the, the colours and the style of this film kept the film really upbeat. Uh, and it sort of uh, sort of covers how, or sort of um, not covers, but yeah, it does. It covers up how bad some of the things that are actually happening to these kids are. But it, as I said before, this film is so super quick that it doesn't really slow down. So I think that, you know, if they slowed it down a bit, you could have had some more tender moments to make this film a bit more impactful. And those were the scenes that stood out for me in this film as well. We have a, we have a moment or a section where we, we discuss if we jumped on IMDb to check any of the cast out. I didn't check any of the cast out, but when the, the credit titles at the end of the film came up, I saw that this the book that this film's based on was was written by Lois Lowry, and I knew like I knew that name as an author in the back of my head, and I was like, oh, what, what book is it? And so I had to have a look. I, I googled uh, Lois Lowry to work out that uh, the book that I know her from is The Giver, which is a um, sort of dystopian, There's, I think there's a film adaptation of as well, but a dystopian novel that uh, I know was studied at my high school. I didn't actually study it myself. I know a lot of my, my friends did, but uh, yeah, the, the Giver is a another famous piece of work by Lois Lowry. Question time. I've only got one question or statement to make about this film, I think, that, you know, we have in the film, we've got these four kids that are treated poorly by their parents, and then in the middle of the night, there's just a box with a random kid, an orphan kid dropped on their doorstep. I wanted some context why their doorstep. Like we know that surely the neighbors and the people living around know how bad these parents are. So like, why did they decide to leave a kid on their doorstep? An answer would have been great. I don't have an answer because it doesn't make sense at all. It's just a, a, a thing of convenience to progress the plot and make us be able to go and meet our big uh, Willy Wonka type character. <laughs> oh man, I'm ready to wrap this one up. I think uh, we, we give the film a rating out of five. For me, it felt like a modern Roald Dahl story, I guess. Um, you know, we've got the ideas of like Willy Wonkers and orphans and um, all the, these types of things, but where his storytelling was sort of groundbreaking and imaginative at the time, we hadn't seen anything like it. This just feels a bit like everything that we've seen before. It's worth watching once probably, but it's not one of those classic kid films that you're probably going to chuck on over and over again for the kids to, to repeat watch. So still enjoyed it. Not amazing. I'm giving it a three out of five. Solid score. Um, we've got socials. We've got Twitter. We've got Facebook and Instagram. Please give us a follow. Give us a like if you can. The question I wanted to put up there for this week is, have you ever knitted before? Um, considering the mother in this film uh, loves her knitting. Have you ever knitted? I have vague memories of being a bit younger and, and helping out at some stage with my grandmother with her knitting, but it's not something that I've continued or would have any idea how to do cross stitching or anything like that. So interesting thing. It's, I think it's a pastime that it's still probably pretty popular at times. Um, we're back again next week. It's a completely different film next week because uh, we've got a South Korean film from 2020, which is a dystopian action thriller called Time to Hunt. This is directed by Yoon Sung-hoon. It stars Lee Hee-hoon, Ah An Jae-hong, Choi Woo-sik, and Park Jung-min. I'm excited. I remember when this one came out too. These are all the films at that time, the pandemic, where we were just losing our mind and wanted to work out what was coming out next. And I remember this film too. So I'm very excited to see this one. As always, thank you for jumping on board, listening to my thoughts on The Willoughbys. Hopefully I'll see you next week and stay safe. <laughs>